0: We'll continue to worship the Lord together with uh, the reading of God's word. And there are actually two uh, passages that I'll read uh, as we study the Bible together. One from John 13 and then a supplemental passage from Philippians chapter 2. So John chapter 13 and then Philippians 2. We're going to see God's help in understanding um, Well, the title of the morning sermon is Recovering a Christlike Perspective for Relationships. How should we treat and interact with one another? So John 13, beginning in verse 34, a new commandment I give to you, that you love one another just as I have loved you. You also are to love one another. By this, all people will know that you are my disciples if you have love for one another. Real quick pop quiz. According to Jesus, how are his disciples known in the world? According to Jesus, by how we love one another. And, and then Philippians chapter 2, verses 3 and 4. Do nothing from rivalry or conceit, but in humility count others more significant than yourselves. Let each of you look not only to his own interests, but also to the interests of others. So let's pray together and then... We'll look to God to help us. Father, I pray that you'd help us to, to recover some things or maybe for the first time see things. Particularly the value of other living, breathing human beings. How we're to treat them. How, do we're, how, do we're, how we're to think about one another. And I pray for my church. This church that I get the blessing of being a part of. that. That we're known for how we love one another. and um, Because we're so aware of how you have first loved us. And I ask this in Jesus' name. Amen. Well, we're taking these first uh, Sundays here in 2022 uh, in, a, in a brief series entitled uh, Centrals for the Year Ahead. Years Ahead, perhaps. Uh, Just take an inventory of some things we're really going to need in life as uh, we navigate the days in which we find ourselves. Uh, One of the uh, illustrations that I've used is suppose you were going to go on the Appalachian Trail and you're going to spend, say, three or four days on the trail and you're packing your bag. Uh, It's important to know what's not necessary, what you're not going to take with you, but then you don't want to get out there and say, man, I really wish I had uh, this. I've not actually been to the Appalachian Trail. I've made plans over and over to to go, uh, but never quite uh, made it. But if you were to just say, what are the things that are absolutely essential for us to have in our lives right now as we seek both to follow Jesus and make him known to the world around us? And we started with uh, the, the need, the essential need that you have to spend time regularly in God's word. It's not supplemental. It's essential for your life. Uh, you're not going to know God as He really is apart from regularly spending time in His Word. And last week we spent some time just talking about how to actually do that. How to, how to take uh, Bible reading out of the realm of I know I should into the realm of I can't wait to because God really is speaking to me through His Word. And this morning, uh, the essential that we're going to look at is recovering a Christ-like perspective for relationships. One of the most... Now, all the Bible is profound, so I want to choose my words carefully. One of the most profound statements in the Bible happens early on when God says, It is not good for a man to be, who knows, alone. It's not good to be alone. This is something God said prior to the fall. In, In other words, when God created the world in all of its splendor, he said it's not good that Adam should be alone. But one of the most frequent ways people describe their lives right now is lonely. And friends, that's not good, is it? Now, God said it's not good to be alone prior to the fall. In Genesis 3, when sin enters the world, it brings with it the inclination for every single one of us to wear a mask and build a wall. That's, that's kind of how we live. I love what Ray Ortland said. This is, this is uh, just a great quote. He said, you can either be impressive or you can be known, but you can't be both. In, in other words, if people are going to know who you really are, what you really wrestle with, what you really struggle with, then masks have to come off and walls need to come down. But man, can we just agree? That's really hard to do. You were made by God to have a relationship with God and to have a, a relationship with other people. Now, prior to, and you think about this, prior to 2020, social isolation was already the functional status of an increasing number of people. Listen to these headlines. We're just talking about in the world. We're not even yet talking about how things go in the church. Here's headlines. Surgeon General says there's a loneliness epidemic. That was in the Washington Post. The USA Today, young people report more loneliness than the elderly. New York Times, the surprising effects of loneliness on health. The Atlantic, loneliness begets more loneliness. The New York Times, again, how social isolation is killing us. And friends, all of those headlines are from 2018. Turn with me to Proverbs. Anybody ever ask you to turn and read Proverbs? You say you have to think to yourself, we're about to get some wisdom. Amen? So Proverbs chapter 18 Proverbs chapter 18. If you've got a sermon uh, outline there nearby, we're going to start with this. We need to recover a Christ like perspective for our relationships. So, Proverbs chapter 18, look with me in verse number one. Whoever isolates himself seeks his own desire, he breaks out against all sound judgment. Hey, while we're here, let's go and read verse 2. A fool takes no pleasure in understanding, but only in expressing his opinion. What are we being told here? We're being told that the default way of living in 2022 is actually an unwise way to live. Whoever isolates himself, in other words, whoever cuts himself or herself off from from real human relationships, deep relationships, whether whether that's in person or if you're in person, it's not the real you. You isolate, you're seeking your own desire, and you kind of live a life where nobody can really tell me what to do. So here's what I want to say, friends. We need somebody to help us know what to do. When you get get a mentality of of I know best, that's a pathway actually to To destruction. So so let's talk about it for a minute and and start here. We we need to reset our lives around relationships. We need to reset our lives around relationships. Now it's Sunday, so let me just ask it this way. Tomorrow, Monday, what do you have to do? What's your schedule tomorrow? And I just wanna caution you if immediately in your mind you start to think of things that you have to do, if you're not careful, the schedule will just dictate to you. And so instead of setting your life around a schedule, Jesus is helping us understand that we set our life around relationships. A new commandment I give to you, that as I have loved you, you are to love one another. By the way, what's new about that? I mean, haven't we been told prior to John 13 as we read through the Bible that we should love each other? But what's new about it is Jesus says, what? As I have loved you. Does anybody know the context of John 13? What's Jesus just done? He's washed the disciples' feet. You remember they get to the upper room, and and the lowest job of the low was to wash people's feet, and they sit there for a little while, and nobody does it. And then who is it? Stands up from the table, takes off his outer garment, lowers himself to the point of service. It's Jesus. And now he's saying, as I have loved you, now you're going to love one another. Hey, uh, healthy relationships and healthy churches, they're built not found. Can I say this again? Healthy relationships and healthy churches are built. They're not found. And we're wired to just think that we can go somewhere and find some things. But if you want to enjoy deep friendships, we're responsible, of course, with God's help, for building them. And I love the, where we started this morning when, when Jesus looks at Peter how are, how are Jesus and Peter going to have a healthy relationship and a healthy friendship? When, when Peter disappoints Jesus, is Jesus just going to throw up his hands and say, we're done? I'll go, I'll go find a different group. I'll go find a different group of disciples. It's the steadfastness, isn't it? Man, when I say we want to recover, I'm talking about recovering a Christ-like perspective of relationships. And and a restored relationship with God, if you're following along in the outline, a restored relationship with God through Christ always precedes healthy relationships with others. Now, it's not good for you to be alone, that's true of human relationships, but until you until you have a restored relationship to God through Christ, all of your relationships are going to kind of exist in the wrong sphere. It'll be sort of a consumer mindset, kind of a what can you do for me? Hey, what can Peter do for Jesus? Nothing. And man, if, if, if you have to put conditions on friendship, then you're never going to have friendship. Do you know what I'm saying? Like as soon as you have to say, in order for me to be your friend, this has to be here, then friendship's actually not possible. But then when you have a restored relationship with God, here's the great thing. Here's the great thing about knowing Jesus. You will receive from God all the things that you're, apart from God, going to look for in other people. And if you do that, like, what what do I mean by that? You don't have to live, and I don't mean this in a dismissive way. We'll talk about this more in a minute. You don't have to live for the approval of other people all the time. I mean, all of us can relate to this example or analogy. Say you're in middle school, and some of you are in middle school, which is just an awesome period of life, right? But you're at middle school, and you kind of like somebody. Do you know how you go about it? It's never direct, is it? What you always want to know is do they like you back before you reveal to them that you like them, right? That's how the game is played. Why? Because we're always so very concerned we'll actually like or love somebody more than they like or love us. And so you go through your whole life saying, let me see if I can balance the scale. Here's how the scales go when Jesus shows up. He loves you first. He loves you best. He loves you. Exclamation point, not comma, if. But we're not used to that. When the sin entered the world, the conditions came, right? I mean, you see Adam, man, he turns on Eve like that, right? We would go from bone of my bones and flesh of my flesh to it's all her fault, right? But God shows up. God takes the initiative. God's on the scene. So a restored relationship... With, with God through Christ precedes healthy relationships with, with others. I've been uh, reading the, uh, Ed Welch. i just commend him to you. He's a great counselor and a great author. And uh, I'm just going to read something that he uh, says in his, in his, in his book. Uh, this book's called, What Do You Think of Me and Why Do I Care? Well, two good questions. He says, uh, you are controlled by other people more than you think. And other people, of course, are controlled by how you see them. So we ask some questions. They're good questions. Do you, do you buy clothes because of what other people will think? Have you ever not gone somewhere you didn't have, uh, because you didn't have the right clothes or you didn't like the way you looked? Do you spend a lot of time in front of the mirror? Do you avoid other people either because you're angry with them or because you would be embarrassed if they saw you? Do you ever get embarrassed to be seen with your parents? I'm gonna check that one real quick. Have you ever been embarrassed at the thought of other people knowing that you go to church? Have you been ever been embarrassed to say you believe in God? Have you ever been embarrassed to say you believe in Jesus? Do you exaggerate to make yourself look better? Do you feel like a failure sometimes? You hate school from the moment you walk in because you feel like a failure, or are you afraid to ask questions in class because you might look stupid? Do you wish you were thinner, stronger, taller, shorter, smarter, faster, or better looking? Have you ever been jealous of someone thinner, stronger, taller, faster, smarter, better looking? Have you ever wished you could shrivel up and disappear? Where's all that come from? It it comes from fearing the approval of other people and not being freed up to love other people, right? Perfect love casts out fear. So in order to love people more perfectly, you can't... The irony is in order to really love somebody else, you you don't need their approval. Does that make sense? So so a restored relationship with God, all right, now I've got from God, I don't have to go looking for it somewhere else. What do I mean by that? I've got satisfaction in knowing that not I was lovable, but when I wasn't lovable, He loved me. I didn't have to clean myself up for Him to to love me. There's not some... uh, man-centered way of explaining his love for me he loves me in Christ Jesus he he loves me you you are made by God not to be controlled by other people you're made by God to be lovingly led by him unto serving other people going back to the middle school analogy just to uh, tweak it a little bit oftentimes instead of saying do you like me okay I'll like you we kind of go through life saying, are you going to serve me? And I'm going to wait to what extent you'll serve me until then we can calibrate it and I'll know how much I can serve you. You, You've probably got people in your life you say, if they really need help, they can call on me. But if I really need help, I don't know if I can call on them. Does anybody have a relationship like that? Nobody raised their hand. What? No, you're just, you're kind, right? You're kind-hearted. I'm not going to say that. But friends, don't you see that that's the dynamic that that God had with us? I mean, I mean, it's not sitting there looking at Peter since we were there in John chapter 1. Well, we'll just see about this old guy. We'll see about can he get it to 10 seconds walking on the water. And then, no, oh, he loved him from the first, man. Loved him from the first. So, so Jesus, next point on your, on your outline. I know it looks like a lot. We're going to get through it. Jesus <laughs> exemplifies the right way to pursue Build and maintain relationships. Now, I'm going to say something, and everybody in the room is going to say, we know that verse, but just think about it with me. Jesus shows the right way to relate to other people. The way he was treated by other people did not determine how he treated them. You know that, right? The golden rule. Well, we all know the golden rule better than we live the golden rule. Was Jesus ever rejected by other people? Was Jesus ever abandoned by other people? But two things. Number one, that betrayal and abandonment never led him to despair. I can't believe these people don't like me. He never was that way. Why not? Because he was never looking to receive that from people. John 3, Jesus himself did not, or John 2, the end of John 2, Jesus himself did not entrust himself to other people because he knew what was in the hearts of people. No, he got it all from his father. That's where I look for love and encouragement and fellowship stability, purpose. My will, my food is to do the will of my Father. Too many of us, our food, what we live by is to do what other people think that we should do. And again, I don't mean that in a dismissive. I don't care what anybody else, that's Proverbs 18.1. Whoever isolates himself seeks his own desire. No, it's not isolating, it's actually friendship. And and first of all, it never drove him to despair. And secondly, he never lashes out To get payback. Why not? Because of the relationship that he had with his his father. So let's just think about it. As you read through the Gospels, you would see this pretty uh, clearly. How did Jesus relate to others? Well, first we'll start with faithful devotion to his closest friends. Faithful devotion to his closest friends. Jesus had the 12 disciples, but even within the 12, there were three, right? Peter, James, and John that he was especially close to. So, you need, you need two or three people in your life. Do you have them? Two or three people in your life that you're devoted to. Thick and thin. No matter what comes. We're in it together. And, and, and prayerfully, if you're a follower of Jesus, you've got two or three other followers of Jesus. I know I've said it this way before. You don't need just friends who are Christians. You need Christian friendships. So it's not just that you're meeting together and hanging out at the... I went to LTAP this week, so that's what came to my mind. you just eat meeting together to eat, but you're really praying together. Again, you're not saying, I want this person to think I'm impressive. I need a couple of people in my life who know who I really am. You know what I mean? And we pray together. We point one another to Jesus. Jesus had some hard things to say at times to his close friends. Peter, for example, I mean, he's been on the, our mind a little bit this morning. Get behind me, Satan. He said that to Peter one time. He wasn't saying we're not friends anymore. He was saying you're not setting your mind on the things of the the Lord, but on the things of man. You need some friends in your life if that's where you're going that tell you that. Who are the three people you are closest to in life? And are you spurring them on to live a holy life in Christ Jesus? That's what I mean when I say you reset your life around that. And it doesn't matter what else you achieve. If, you, if you're not doing that, you reset your life around relationships. Not be a task-oriented person, be a human soul under the glory of God-oriented a person. So, so first, he's got faithful devotion to his closest friends. And man, the days that we've lived in the last couple of years, one of the reasons that we're doing this sermon is it's been a challenge to real friendship, hasn't it? Stretched our devotion to one another. We see that Jesus not just faithfully devoted to his closest friends, we also see his intentional pursuit of the overlooked and disliked members of the community. I mean, you watch Jesus enter a village and he goes to Zacchaeus. You watch Jesus as he travels around, he's talking to the woman at the well. Who are these people? He's intentional about pursuing the members of a community, most likely to be told they don't count. And Jesus doesn't avoid them, he goes right to them next if you take inventory of his relationship he's got regular conversations with those of other backgrounds for another person to be your friend or for another person for you to to seek them out and to have a conversation is it necessary for that person to share your social political and religious views it wasn't for jesus amen It wasn't for Jesus. Now, without question, no one has stronger convictions than Jesus. He did not set aside his convictions in order to befriend other people, but neither did he require other people to hold his same convictions before he would befriend them. Does that make sense? The tragic irony of the communication revolution that we have lived through. And friends, if you've been alive since 2007 or so, you've lived through it. The world has changed. The way that we relate to one another has changed. And the irony of the communication revolution we've lived through is that we can communicate to other people so much more quickly than ever before while doing so so much less humanely than ever before. I mean, the online world is just flat out mean, right? Fast, quick, but but mean. And one of the things it has done is, uh, it's a real challenge to this point that we're talking about right now, because we're starting to be conditioned to think, if I'm going to have a worthwhile conversation with somebody, they already have to agree with me on you fill in the blank, these number of issues. And if you don't, then I'm out, and I'm just going to stay here in my sphere. Jeremy Lineman, article I read uh, this week, said, social media began around the promised the promise of increased connection in a culture that was moving towards more transience and transition. Staying connected to your friends wherever they are, they said. It'll be great, they said, but the social media project has transformed into something different in the past decade and a half, and now these sites have become platforms for curated advertising and social sorting, driving us to connect with only people like us. So, if Jesus required other people to be just like him before he befriended them, before he served them, before he listened to them, you and I would never have been his friend. Ever. Resetting our life around Christ-like perspective of relationships. In fact, friends... The tragedy is the best means of sharing convictions about Jesus is on the, uh, in the context of friendships. And so, so you see the tragedy of it's cut off before we can even get there. I uh, can't be your friend because you, no, it's, it's friendship. Uh, well, we'll go to the next point that we see that Jesus is eating with friends, family members, and outsiders. One of the holiest things that you can do is sit at the table and eat with other people. Did you know that? One of the best things that you can do is actually sit at the table with other human beings and, and share a meal. That's what the Lord's Supper is in the early church. It's they sat around a table. What's going on there? It's not just a meal. Yes, it matters, the body of Christ and the, and the blood of Christ. But why is, Jesus, why is Jesus laying down his life to begin with? It's all about relationships. His with yours and yours with the person on the pew beside of you. That's what the gospel's all about. Is after the fall, Adam and Eve have a uh, disordered, disconnected, and dead relationship with God. And they're hostile to each other. The only solution to this is that God, in the person of Jesus, came to serve and lay down his life. To pay the penalty for our sin. To bring us back to himself. So, if you were to go to the early church and they sat down for the Lord's Supper, you would see it was about the body and the blood and the meal but it was also about being in the presence of other people around the table and our relationships now are restored and I'm not trying to use you and I'm not going to be your friend only if you're my friend. No, we've been redeemed and now we have uh, we use this word often but this is what it means. Now we have fellowship. You know I'm not going to forsake you. You know I'm not going to walk out on you. We're in it together to the end under the Gracious love of Christ. Look with me in Luke chapter 15. Just want to show you here that I'm getting this from the Bible, <laughs> not making it up. Luke chapter 15, verse 1. Now, the tax collectors, man, at that time and place, those were the most uh, hated group of people. The tax collectors and sinners were all drawing near to hear him. And the Pharisees and scribes grumbled, saying, This man receives sinners and eats with them. And I always like to point out their grumbling complaint is our eternal hope. Amen. I mean, if Jesus wouldn't sit down and eat with sinners, what hope would we have? But in particular, in that time and place, to sit down and eat with somebody, it was saying something. And we're not restaurants all over the place. I mean, you'd have to be in somebody's home. You'd have to be at their table. You'd have to be welcomed in. You were sort of saying, these are my people. And Jesus, that's what they're saying. And if he was really of God, he wouldn't be sitting with them. We need to recover this in our day. So, so don't spend your life worried that you'll be criticized by graceless grumblers. we listening? Don't spend your life worrying that you'll be criticized by graceless grumblers than you are longing to be like Jesus. Open the door of your home. Invite people to sit at your table. Make a meal. Extend an invitation. Reset your... Life around relationships, so that a regular part of your schedule is having people over to eat or meeting somewhere to eat. It doesn't have to be fancy. It doesn't have to be perfect. But this is what you're more made for than just honestly scrolling a screen mindlessly till the rest of your days are done. Human beings. One of the um, one of the hardest and best parts of being a pastor. Is uh, I have the privilege of often being people in their being with people <laughs> in their last moments when it's known. The hours, minutes, seconds of my life are here—the last ones—and not one single time. It's a clarifying moment in somebody's life. Have I ever heard someone say? Well, I wish I'd watched more TV. I wish I'd made more money. Somebody, go give me my iPhone. I just want to hold it one more time. You know what it always is. You know what it always is. Relationships. Hundred percent of the time. Call so and so. I want to see him one more time. Hold their hand one more time. Look him in the eye one more time. So would God give us grace to have a that kind of a last minute of my life perspective? All the minutes of my life. Uh, We'll do these quickly, but we see that Jesus willingly, willing to purposefully attend weddings, funerals, and other gatherings. You know this about Jesus, right? Can't can't hardly read a a chapter. Is this sounding different? The audio is this sounding different? We're good. We're good. Okay. My ears. I don't know, but he was willing to purposefully attend weddings, funerals, and other gatherings. See Jesus. He's at a wedding. He's at a funeral. So be present um, at the important moments in the lives of other people. When they celebrate, you celebrate. When they grieve, you grieve. Rejoice with those who rejoice. Grieve with those who grieve. And be present in the moment. And please, God Almighty, rescue us from this consumer mentality that permeates every moment of our life. You show up to encourage and to serve, not to be served, right? I mean, don't go through life saying, how much more time do I have to be here? You get to be with other people. Encourage them. Seek out the bride and groove. Pray for them. And then when you're by the graveside, man, when people are grieving, don't worry about figuring out the right thing to say. You already said it when you show up, and I am telling you, show up. And then we see with Jesus that he's always building relationships with the poor and the needy. The more like Jesus you are, the more you will care for the poor and needy. You can hardly follow Jesus on one page of the Gospels that he's not ministering to the poor. And not from a removed distance, but way up close. Now, got all those? Now let's take a breath and say, none of that comes naturally. Not one one bit of that comes naturally left to ourselves this isn't the list we would come up with is it just want to sit disconnected removed i want to isolate myself and my life be about me but that's not what jesus did right and tell you this is such a better way to live such a better way to live now in saying not a single one of us is naturally inclined to do any of this we're, we're naturally inclined to do the very opposite of these things and Jesus befriended you when you were that way. Amen? Jesus befriended you when you were that way. But his friendship and his presence in our lives is so good, it's so strong, we don't remain that way. Remember, he looks at Peter, and he doesn't, say, he doesn't just say, I know where you came from, so you just keep going that way. No, I know where you came from, I know who you are, I know your inclinations, and I'm going to love you all the way. So, kind of a way we would summarize Jesus' life is Jesus never wanted something from others. He wanted something for others, and he always loves first. Now, you might say, I don't know that that's true. He demanded the disciples leave their nets. He demanded the rich young ruler sell his possessions. He said, if anyone would come after me, he must deny himself, take up his cross. Jesus was always making demands of others. Well, yes, but he told people to leave those things behind in order that they would gain something so much better. It's like telling somebody to drop their ramen noodles, and some of you love ramen noodles, I get it. But drop your ramen noodles, ramen noodles, ramen noodles, so you can have some steak. Jesus wants for you what he created you for. That's what he wants for you. We'll do some quick practical suggestions for a relationship reset. You might say, I'm tracking with you, new commandment. Love one another as I have loved you. And this is by how the world will know that we belong to Jesus, by how we love one another. And I'm not going to go through life just thinking about myself. Look, not only to my own interest, but also to the interests of others. So some practical suggestions for a relationship. Reset. Relationships. Reset. First, show up and be consistent. Don't go through life with a consumer mindset, but with a servant's heart. And don't serve others on the basis of how they serve you. I mean, we can sort of do this sometimes. Well, I called him last time. I sent the text last, and this just kind of an unwritten rule. If I texted you last, I have to wait for you to text me before I text you back. Is that kind of an unwritten rule? I don't want to do that. Praise God Jesus didn't have that heart for us. I'm going to keep coming. I'm going to keep knocking. I'm going to keep showing up. I'm going to be consistent. And I'm not going to go through life with a consumer mindset. And by that I mean I'll do for you to the extent that you do for me. And actually what I really want is for you to do a little bit more for me than I do for you. Because then that way I can get what I want. If you live like Jesus in the world, don't expect to be treated well by the world. Was he? right? Your controlling question can't be, um, is it even, right? Have I done for them what they've done? for? Your controlling question is, are my actions holy? Am I able to say what I've done is holy unto the Lord? And next, be the one who takes the initiative. Again, healthy relationships aren't found Healthy churches aren't found, they are built. So you take the initiative to make the meal, make the phone call, ask for forgiveness, extend forgiveness, turn the other cheek. Jesus was always taking the initiative. I'm going to be careful with this one. But I do want you to hear it. You have got to invest more time in person than online. I quoted Jeremy Linneman earlier and I want to refer back to an article that he wrote. It said his his article how covid affected our friendships and what to do about it. In fact several of the initiatives that I'm giving practical suggestions come from that article. Just briefly listen, the average american's time spent with people outside the household dropped by a full hour. It's talking about 2020 which over eight months amounts to about 244 fewer hours spent in relationships in 2020 versus 2019. And it was already declining, y'all, right? It's not like 2019 was a good standard. So where did all that time go instead? Although there were segments who spent more time with family members, parents of young children especially. We need to check on the young parents. Two years, y'all, all all right? It's It's been something, I understand it. We're about to jump in the boat with you, so make room. The biggest changes in time use were digital. The pandemic saw increases in our texting, phone calls, video conferencing, TV streaming, computer use, and video games. Not including work and school time, the average American increased daily screen time by about 60 minutes. So when we put these two trends together... We discover in 2020, the average American traded 300 hours of in-person time with friends, church members, and neighbors for 300 hours of social media, TV, and internet reading. So, I do think there's wisdom in how God designed you. And he didn't design you digitally. He designed you as a human being. So personal relationships, in-person relationships are a thousand times better than relationships that communicate primarily online. I, I personally think our relationships would improve dramatically if the internet just went away. I'm thankful for some things, thankful for streaming. You understand what I'm saying, but um, to invest more time in person than online. And that's coming, y'all, from an introvert, right? Last one, have patience and turn quickly to prayer. Have patience and turn quickly to prayer. One of the obvious observations about uh, the world that we live in now is that people are just a lot harsher online. They'll say things online. They, they, just, wouldn't, they just wouldn't say to you if you were standing right before them. Um, There's not a lot of patience, I guess, is what I'm saying <laughs> online. And I'm not trying to make this all about it online. It, it, I'm, that's not what I'm t- intending to go although I feel like I kind of have now. But Jesus Christ died on the cross for people for souls, for human beings. And in a thousand ways, we've devalued human beings in the world. In a thousand ways. So, so we need God's help to see the value of human beings again. That begins by seeing the value of God again, by the way. So, so spend more time with a human beings in person. One of the best things that you can do to build up the church family, have somebody over to eat. Uh, You'll you'll build friendships better one meal than 52 Sundays passing by one another in the hall, right? You will. Fellowship that the early Christians had were built around the table and on mission. And you probably already know this. You went on a short-term mission trip with somebody four years ago. You still have a connection because you stood in India or you stood in Belgium or you stood in Pittsburgh or you stood in New York or you stood on Long Island or you stood in Staten Island, rather, and you just, you just stood there. You, you, you went to Illinois together. You went to Toronto together. I mean, you, on mission together, doing the work. Now, you don't have to go somewhere to do that. In fact, one of the best things you could do, I mean, Blake William and I have spent more time than I'd like to admit, trying to figure out how we could kind of programize this. And you know what? The truth of the matter is you can't. Will you sign up to sit down in somebody's house and eat? I don't know how to do that. Can we put it on the app? No. You know what I'm saying? Man, you get a couple of believers around the table, and then you begin to invite in some people who don't know Jesus, and you just treat them for what they are, precious in the sight of the Lord. That's how the gospel gets passed to those who don't know Jesus. I kind of wish we were doing the Lord's Supper right now. We didn't set up for that, but that just helps you know the body, the blood of Christ, unto restored relationship with God and with one another. We're going to enter a time of uh, invitation, and I thought about a few ways to end the service, but or, or the sermon rather. Uh, and, and here's what I came up with. It's not the most original thing <laughs> in the world. But I'd love for you to, to, to do this during the invitation. Answer this question. One thing, in light of what we talked about today, one thing I'd like, by God's grace, to begin doing differently is, and then you, you fill in that blank, intended to, to get you to reset around relationships, Right? So let's stand together, and uh, we'll pray together. One thing I would like to begin doing differently is... And Father, it's now that we need your help, because apart from the help of the Holy Spirit, this is just another Sunday with another sermon that we go on about our lives as as we were before we opened your word and God help us not to do that we really need help in um, resetting our lives around relationships and seeing people as precious uh, as, as you do so um, one thing I'd ask is you just give us help for, for, for some of us to open our doors to invite people in to make a meal to sit down and uh You would lower, if I can ask it this way, Father, lower the rate of loneliness among us and increase the rate of Christ-honoring fellowship, the level of fellowship, I ask in Jesus' name. Amen.